Well, welcome everybody one more time to Encounter Church. My name is Derek, the lead pastor here at Encounter. And the first thing I want to do is make sure you all know that you're invited this Friday to our worship and prayer night at the new location, Encounter Fulton Heights. It's just outside of Medical Mile, downtown Grand Rapids. We're so thrilled, thrilled so pumped for this thing. Um, we're doing just that. We're worshiping, bringing the instruments outside under a tent. Uh, time for worship, time for prayer. Um, we're also going to be doing some tours around the building to see what it is and by faith what it's going to become. I heard as well that there's rumors for uh, an ice cream social distancing as well, which is going to be pretty fun. I also want to kind of acknowledge that uh, many of you are students and there's like an expiration date on your time in Grand Rapids. And you're like, yes, I know when I'm going to graduate and I know then when I'm going to move on. And I want to say, listen, that may be true, but while you're here, dig in. That, that means come to the worship and prayer night. That means be a part of a small group, a serving team, whatever it is. You're here for right now. God has you for right now. Dig in while you're here. We do this every year, and we love meeting new people, even though it often means saying goodbye in one to four years from now. Okay, so we're going to continue on in the series called Further Faster today by look, taking a look at uh, these stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, where we, uh, where we look at how God reacts when he loses something. And so we're going to do that today by looking at how maybe we react to when we lose something. Uh, what our reaction is is often determined by the value it holds in our lives or maybe even in our hearts. So I'm going to give you an example. And also, if you're watching online, I would love for you guys to drop in the comment section below, like what's something that you've lost recently? Maybe, uh, maybe a wallet, maybe your purse, maybe your phone. For me, something that I lose just about every morning is my car keys. And some of that, most of the time, is my fault, but not all the time. Because uh, there's one time, especially when my kid, when my son was two years old or somewhere around there, he would love car keys. Like he couldn't get enough of like the, like the jingling sound of them or just whatever it was. Or there were fact probably that they were mine and not his and I was possessive about them. It just made him want the keys anymore. I'm telling you, I wished I had anything in my life that I looked at with such adoration that he looked at my car keys with. He would, every time they were like around the counter, he'd just kind of like grab them and just sneak off. And so one Saturday morning when the, when the ladies in my house, my wife and daughter, they left to go do some, uh, some fun things. It was me and my son. It was a classic boys hang, as we call it. I had a fun day planned for us, going out, doing all kinds of things. A couple of errands mixed in there that I needed to do, but uh, some fun things as well. Except the problem, as you can imagine, I couldn't find my car keys. And so at first, I'm cool. Son, where'd you put my keys? I think, I think you took them. Nothing. Okay, I just, I really need the keys. And the more like agitated that I got, the more like he would like run away and like, I don't know, don't go by dad right now. And I, I tore the house apart looking for these keys. I, I, I look in the, yeah, the house and the drawers on the key, you know, rack. Okay, so I check there. I also look in his room. I take his bed apart, looking in there. I look in the back of the fish tank. It's complicated, but, you know, that sometimes is a destination for those to, uh, to end up. Like, I, I'd look everywhere for the keys. I'm working through the stages of grief in real time. Like, as I'm doing this, I'm like, it's anger, you know, bargaining. Like, you ever try to bargain with a two-year-old about, like, where this thing that went misplaced was? And then finally, I want to say an hour and a half, two hours later, I get around to acceptance. I'm not finding my keys. I'm not going anywhere on this Saturday. And so I just sit down. And we started playing blocks together. But like, like my reaction 
right? My reaction of, of just the, like how I like spilled over, it says something about the value of the thing that I lost. And so it's like, what did you lose recently? Some of you at Encounter Church, you've lost a lot of things. And I know that because we keep a lost and found here. And so Jason, if you're missing a Bible, we've got it. English Standard Version, nice. It's got the name inscribed on there. We've got water bottles. We've got purses. So many of these coffee cups. Nobody around here should ever have to buy a coffee cup again. Umbrellas, sunglasses, those were like 75 cents. They were in counter shades. Um, but, you know, we, we're holding on to them for you. You've lost a lot of things in the chairs and just around here at Encounter Church. I read a, uh, a report a little while ago that said... Um, that said that the average of Americans, this is a fun fact for you, the average American spends two and a half days every single year just looking for the things that they lost. Actually, the more I think about that, the less of a fun fact that is, because I think I'm probably driving that average up from that point. The question this morning is, about what did you lose? Now, last week we took a look at Luke chapter 15, the story of the shepherd that loses one of his sheep. And the sheep was lost in the open country. Today we're talking about a woman who loses a coin. And the thing about it is the coin was lost in the house. And so maybe it isn't so much the case that you're the sheep that went missing. You're the sheep that lost. Today maybe it's about what's something in the house, what's something in your life, what's something in your heart that, that's gone missing. And the hard part of that, I think today, is that over the last six months we can name and just list off the things that we've lost, the things that have gone missing. Some of you have like, listen, my routine is what's missing. I, I, I miss going to the favorite coffee shop around the corner and, and just hanging out and, and working from there. I miss having a, a, a school routine for my kids. I mean, one day virtual, the other day, not even if we're in person, it's like the shoe could fall at any minute now. I miss just going to church and having it be normal. What's something like in your life that you've lost? And today we see how God responds when areas of our life go missing. So if you'd like to follow along, you can turn into Luke chapter 15. And we continue on the story that Jesus tells. And really remember, it's one story that he told three different ways. A lost sheep, a lost coin today, and a lost son next week. Okay, Luke 15, starting off in verse 8. He said, or, or instead of the lost sheep, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Now, I want to make like a comment on there. But last week, remember, we, we, we said that Jesus... Um, he, he brings in the, the spiritual gurus, the leaders of the time, by placing them as shepherds in the story, which we said was a bit offensive to them because shepherds were like at the bottom of society. Remember, it's an extraordinarily patriarchal society. And so Jesus, I love the way he does this. He says, suppose you're a shepherd and it's offensive to their mind. It reveals something in their hearts. So, suppose you're a shepherd. And now in the second story, he says, or no, suppose you're a woman. And for the time in Jesus, it's like, listen, come on, man. Why did you have to, his disciples, you know, people following closely, are like, why do you have to, like, lead with the offensive thing, right? Now, today, it wouldn't be offensive for him to do that, but, uh, but for back then, it certainly was. And so Jesus, he's bringing in an element. He doesn't need, I love this, it's not critical to the story that it's a woman. He tells it as a woman just because he wants to make sure that, that people around him knew that he was the Messiah, 
He was a savior that engages the women. He was a Messiah that not only engaged the women, he also put them to work in the ministry with him, alongside of him. And so I just love, like, there's this element of here to say, like, listen, we are not, as a church ministry, we are not functioning at our best and on mission together if there's only, like, one gender represented at the decision-making table. So just earlier this week, we lost uh, a justice on the Supreme Court. And, like, politics aside, one of the statements that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was known for making is that women belong in places where decisions are made. And our president understands that as well who vowed earlier soon after to nominate a person, a woman, to fill that place. So I think we get this. And Jesus, thousands of years ago, when it wasn't in fashion, when it wasn't the thing to do, when it wasn't really recognized as a necessity of hell, God, being the makers of humanity, knew that we weren't fully and completely on mission together if women weren't included at the table and on mission together. Jesus, he, he engages the women. Another thing is just a comment about lostness. And so last week, the sheep, they went missing out in the open country. Now today we recognize that you can be lost inside the house. Now, now just like a thing on that. Um, I think it's important maybe to come back to the fact that there were 99 sheep that stayed found. A woman has 10 silver coins. One of them goes missing, if my math is right. Nine of them stayed found. There's a part of this story that it's like, listen, doesn't Jesus care at all about the 99 found sheep? Doesn't God care about the nine coins that didn't go missing? As a pastor, I run into this uh, rather frequently. And people kind of coming up to me and saying, doesn't God care? What about, what about me? Especially at a church like this, at Encounter Church, where we are unapologetic about our mission. We exist to bring people far from God to new life in Christ. We exist to partner with God to be on mission, to go out and find that sheep, find that coin, find that son. What about the 99? What about the nine? What about the ones that didn't ever go missing in the first place? And I think it might help to think about it a little bit like this. Sometimes we think about the 99 as being completely distinct and separate from the one that went missing, or the nine in this case, to be different than the one that went missing. I think the way that Jesus looks at it as a family and as as wholeness. And so when one goes missing, it isn't one out of 100 or one out of 10 or one out of two. When one goes missing, Jesus looks at it and says, as a a dad, as a father, as a parent, and he says, my family is not complete, is not restored until what's been lost has been found again. And so for Jesus, the fact that one of these coins goes missing means that the wholeness is broken. And so it's not just about finding one out of ten. It's about restoring wholeness back to the family. And the thing about lostness is last week, being out in the open field, this week is lostness inside of the house. It couldn't have gone out far. And so even if you recognize yourself as maybe one of the nine that didn't go missing, every weekend we gather here, we just challenge that a little bit. Maybe you're not completely outside. Maybe you're not completely lost. Maybe there's just a part of you 
that has yet to be turned over to God, that is part of you that just remains missing, a piece of you that just is lost. I say it like this way, you can be here and be in God's house and still be no less lost than out there in the open country. Uh, A few years ago now, I did one of these invitations like I did last week, and that's not always planned, to be honest. Last week, it wasn't planned. We didn't have like a meeting ahead of time. It was just kind of sensing God's nudging, and people responded. Many of you responded, which is so awesome. There's celebrations of that, and we love that so very much. We don't do that every weekend around here, but we did last week. And this one time, we did it uh, years ago. And I said just the same thing, very similar. Hey, listen, if you're lost and now you believe that you're found, or if you're ready to be your hope in Jesus for the first time, if you're ready to make this declaration for the first time, you know, three, two, one, put your hands up in the air. And this guy that has gone to this church for several years, this guy that I knew personally, he was raised in church, he puts his hand up, which is a little bit surprising to me because I'm like, listen, I know I've like been in a Bible study with him, right? I kind of thought I knew like where his heart was. And so I came up to him afterwards, and I'm like, hey, man, like, that was kind of unusual. I was really surprised to see that. You, you put your hand up in the air. Why did you put your hand up? If, and, he, and he said, you know, I, I, I do believe. I have believed for so long. But you asked a particular question. He said, you asked if this is the first time that you've ever declared or said out loud that you believed. And he goes, you know, I was raised in the church. I missed few Sundays. I've gone to Bible studies in small groups and kids' men. And he goes, and you know, nobody's ever asked me before if I believe. And so I thought about it, and I just said, yeah, I do. And so that, like, did something to me in my heart, especially as we're on mission together, of saying, you know what? Every once in a while, we're just going to ask. Because maybe there's somebody out there who's just waiting to be asked, what's God up to? Maybe you have somebody in your life that God has been working on for some time now. God has been tearing the house apart, searching after this lost person. And they're just waiting for you to come up and just to ask, are you in? Do you believe this stuff that you've been hearing around? Are you ready to turn your life over to Jesus? Nobody's ever asked me before. These words just ring. As I remember them in my life. There's a comment on women. There's a comment on lostness. The story continues there. It continues on in verse 8. And Jesus says, uh, when the coin goes missing, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Doesn't she light up a lamp? No, no, no. It's not like the case is there's big bay windows letting in a lot of sunlight and hardwood floors, and it's easy to find a coin when it goes missing. It's not the case really at all. In fact, there's no windows in first century times, not in a typical household. There's not only no windows, there's not smooth hardwood floors. There'd be a dirt floor. There'd be rocks on the floor, maybe to help out with some drainage should it rain. If a coin gets knocked off from the table and falls onto the ground, it would be very, very difficult to find, especially if it was dark out. And so what does she do? The first thing that she does is she lights a lamp to go look for it. When I was a kid, a lot like most of you, I'm guessing, I was terrified of the dark. I didn't want to be left alone in the dark. I shared a room with my brother for a long time, and then it was just me. Honestly, I was still afraid of the dark, especially when I was alone in the dark. And so my parents did for me something that I'm sure many of your parents did for you and some of you who are parents do for your kids, is they got me one of these little little lights, you know, that, that plug into the socket uh, in the wall. I mean, this thing, the, the light bulb on it must have, it had a capacity no greater than three watts. 
maybe. I mean, you just you plug it into the wall, and it lit up about this much of the wall. But I'm telling you, church, when the darkness, when the deep darkness creeps in, this much is a world of a difference to a little kid. And today, when fear, anxiety, loneliness start to creep in and our thoughts aren't able to be controlled anymore and our pulses start to race, this much light makes a world of a difference. And this is what Jesus is asking us to bring. Not necessarily even to be, but to bring. I am not the light. You are not the light. This church isn't the light. But you are a carrier of the light into the darkness. Jesus Christ is that light that shines in the darkness. And it will not ever overcome it. And there is somebody that needs you to bring that light and shed it on the fear in their life. A comment on light, also a comment on value in money. I am not, um, I'm not a, a money or a financial expert. I've been around it for a little while, and I know a few things of how it works. A couple things in particular. I know about money that, that its value isn't determined by who has it. Its value isn't uh, decided by whether it's in my pocket or yours. And when I lose it, it doesn't, it, doesn't go, uh, it doesn't diminish in value one bit. So, for example, if I had, um, if I had $20 and I'm carrying it around and it's in my pocket and at my house, especially because we're talking about things that are lost inside the house, and I lose the money, then, um, and it falls into the couch cushions and you come over and you're like sitting on my couch and you, and you reach down, that's the mic pack, into my, uh, into my couch cushions and you pull out $20, you wouldn't be like, hey, I found $20. That's awesome. It'd be like, no, 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 dude, that, that's my money. I lost $20. You're at my house. You found $20. It's, it's my money. Like the value isn't just to kind of transfer over. The thing I know about money is that is that even though I might lose it, I maintain my ownership right. We heard about the sheep last week, and even though the sheep went missing away from the hundred, the shepherd maintained his ownership rights over that sheep. When the woman loses her silver coins, she maintains ownership over those silver coins. When she loses it, its value doesn't go down just because it's proximity away from the person who lost it. It's still worth just as much to her or really to anybody because it has an objective store of value, it's worth just as much to her as it was lost as it is found. And so we're learning something about what it means to have value. Because I'm telling you guys, sometimes sometimes you think that you, you go through an experience of life and it somehow like takes away from some of the value that you have. You know, I've sat down and I've talked to people whose marriages tragically came to an end. And when the divorce happened, it's like there's a part of your heart that just got ripped out. And you think, like, listen, I'm no longer worth loving anymore. It's like a part of my value has been taken away, has been robbed. Some of you have had horrible 
acts of cruelty thrust upon you. And you sense, you feel like there's part of your innocence that is just like the value of your life has been taken away and has been diminished. That's not the story that Jesus tells. The value that you have isn't determined by how you feel. The value that you have is determined, in the case of that money, by whose face is printed on it. Jesus told this story where some people come up to him and said, hey, Jesus, or Jesus should we pay taxes? What a time to be alive. And he goes, whose face is on the taxes? And they looked at the coin and they say Caesar's. And he says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. And then he said, give to God's what is God's. Because Jesus recalled, as they would have recalled in the time, that Genesis 1, 26, God looked at his perfect crowning pinnacle of creation, humankind. And he said, let us make man in our image, in the image of God. He created the first people, Adam and Eve, he created humankind. He's walking around. We are the image bearers of God. And he maintains ownership over our lives, and he determines the value that we have. I'm reminded that the value of the thing is the price, honestly, that it'll bring. It's catchy. It rhymes. The value is determined not by how much you think something is worth. The value is determined by how much somebody would pay for it in order to buy it back. And when Jesus has to determine a price on your life, a price on your eternity, the price that he would pay is nothing short of infinity. The price that he would pay is nothing short than his own life, blood shed on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the price that he would pay to bring you back the value of your life is nothing less than infinity. And God, no matter what, no matter through the lostness, no matter through the, your history, the experience, the breakups, through it all, God maintains his ownership stake and he will move heaven and earth to bring you back. And when he does, and when he does, verse 9, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, Jesus says, that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me get this straight. She loses a coin lights up a lamp, tears her house apart, searches between all the little rocks on her floor, unfinished floor, and she finds it, and then she calls her neighbors in to celebrate. Does this sound like a rational thing to do, like, at all? Like, who of you, when you find your keys, it's like, yes, it's time to call the neighbors to come on over because I, it's so meaningful to me, and I finally found them. I'm saying there's, like, this disproportionate level of celebration to the thing that was lost. And I think that's so important to the story because God is saying, Jesus is saying, maybe God knows something about its value, about your value, that you have no concept or bucket to put it in, no schema or scaffolding to build on. God knows something about your value that's worth celebrating that doesn't even make sense to us. When I'm hanging out with my two-year-old and we're building blocks and doing whatever, and I've just given up on the plans of the day. Like, maybe I'll find them later. Maybe they'll, I don't even know. And we're just celebrating. We're playing with the blocks. And he goes over to go get some more. 
he goes over to this little, little push cart thing that he's got that I totally forgot about. The seat opens up, and there's like a hidden compartment on the inside. In the hidden compartment, he's got a couple of these blocks. He's also got his favorite bedtime blank. He's also got his favorite stuffed dog, and he's also got my keys. What do I do? When I find these little chips of metal, I grab a hold of him, I laugh, I celebrate, I dance, I sing. And the more I laugh and the more I celebrate and the more I shout and the more I sing, the more he does. The more I get into it, the more he does. And he doesn't know why I'm so happy about these little chips of metal. But for me, I mean, I got my freedom back. I got my mobility back. I got my car back. I know something about what was lost that he had no concept of what to do with it. And the joy, having no concept of the value, the joy that I had was utterly contagious to him as a two-year-old. As I'm thrilled that I found my keys, he's thrilled because I am. And it tells us something, not only about the woman in the story, but about our, who our God is. Our God is a God of joy and celebration. And there is no greater joy than joining God on the mission, on the search and rescue mission that he has ahead of us. That's why our mission here, that's why our purpose statement is that we exist to bring people far from God to new life in Christ. There's no greater joy than joining God on that extraordinarily high calling. Church, there's no greater joy than getting to start a brand new church specifically for people who don't already go to church in the Fulton Heights neighborhood. I put a picture on the screen last week and I shared a little bit about uh, how this past July a church had, had gifted us this, this building and about how work is underway and we're renovating and modernizing it and bringing it up to today. And it's just this incredible story and that's only part of it. And stick around because we'll release a little bit more all the time, but a Another part, another glimmer of that story goes back to last December when I had convened this visioning group to decide whether we go west and start a new church out that direction or whether we go north closer into the heart of the city. And I thought it'd be west because that seemed a lot easier to me. This group thought north because that's where the people of God were missing and where they believed God was stepping us into it. I thought, there's no way. We, we'll never have a seven-day-a-week space. We'll never have parking for the guests who drive on to our church campus. We'll never have kids' ministries. We'll never have a 24-7 presence in the community. There's just nothing available. The resounding tone of the group was, it doesn't matter because if God calls you to it, he will get you through it. And so within days of, of that vision meeting, I got a phone call. God was doing the impossible. He was moving mountains for his search and rescue mission to bring people far from him to new life in his son, Jesus Christ. That's not it, though. Because as we looked at the building, <clears throat> it needed a lot of restoration. It needed a little attention. We had to leapfrog 70 years from where it was on into today so it's ready for the future carpet, paint, tech for the kids' rooms, check-in, safety, audio, video, lighting, and the worship auditorium, all these things, it's going to cost a little over $500,000 to do this thing. For a church like ours, it's meeting primarily online right now. 
For a church like ours that historically has averaged around two-thirds of our attendance between 18 and 29, there's no way that we're ever going to be able to come up with that level of funding. But God specializes in the impossible. The church gave us not only that building, but also a rent-paying daycare. The church also sold a home that they owned. It's called a parsonage. Pastors used to live there a long time ago. The church sold that building and gifted us, a couple of weeks ago, $250,000 towards the cost of those renovations. Church, on the thermometer of where we are and where we need to be, they just cleared us halfway to the dream. God is doing the impossible. And so in two weeks, October 2, we're calling this Commitment Sunday. We're asking you to join in because we believe that there's no greater joy than joining God on his search and rescue mission. And so the simple request today is that you pray. Specifically to pray about this number the estimated number of people living in and around the Fulton Heights community who don't yet know Jesus. 2,791 people that we believe God is going to bring into a loving relationship with him. Saving relationship with him. I'm asking you to pray for that 2,791. I'm asking you to pray for your one. I'm asking you to pray for your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, one person you would love to come into a relationship with Jesus. I'm asking you to pray for the people who are far from God. I'm also asking you to pray about whether or not God is asking you to financially partner with Encounter in order to bring people who are far from him to new life in his son, Jesus Christ. We don't talk a lot about money around here. We don't talk a lot about financial sacrifice or giving. Honestly, I don't know if we know all the time how to do that well. But I know about the opportunity ahead of us. And I know about the greatest missional endeavor encounter has taken on yet. And I know the passion and I know the enthusiasm. And I can see God's hand moving throughout this whole thing. thing. And so I'm not going to separate the people of God from the work that God is clearly doing in our city. I know that there is no greater joy than joining God in his search and rescue stand up and let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we, uh, we pray for the one. We pray for the person in our lives, a neighbor, a family member, somebody who is far from you that needs to experience your love and grace for the first time or for the first time in a long time. God, we pray for 2,791 people that our demographic studies show are currently living their lives away from your love and away from your grace. God, I pray for the ministry of this church that we're able to effectively be obedient to your calling and your request in our lives to bring people who are far from you to new life in your son, Jesus Christ. May we light lamps and move heaven and earth along with you to bring what's lost back into restoration. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.